Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. here has uh, recurring dreams? Anyone? Okay, several of us have recurring dreams. Uh, you know, they say that the recurring dreams that we have, the, those are the dreams that you have over and over and over. They kind of are indicative of uh, the fears you have, the threats you have, the things you're thinking about. And uh, I just wanted to start off by telling you about two of my recurring dreams. Uh, Uh, I think they're kind of typical because I think the things I'm worried about, the things I fear are the same things that other people fear. You know, I, uh, one of the things that I've had, it's been a while since I had it, but I dream that I'm back in college, maybe back in graduate school. And, uh, lo and behold, you know, about five weeks into the semester, I'm sorting through the stuff on my messy desk and I realize There's a class that I've registered for. There's a class that I'm enrolled in. There's a class, worse of all, that I've paid for, and I have totally forgotten it. I mean, I I hadn't gone to that thing even one time, and it's like, oh, my goodness. So I run to the professor, and I say, hey, I've been in your class. And he's like, yeah, I noticed that. You haven't been in my class uh, you know, can I drop it? Nope, the drop date has passed. I can't get a refund? No, you can't get a refund. Well, I mean, you know, I've got to withdraw. No, you can't withdraw. You're going to get a grade for this thing. Well, I haven't done any of the work. Yes, you're going to get a grade for not doing any of the work. You know, it's going to be a big fat F. And so all of a sudden, you know, with a third of the class gone, I've got to do all of that work and do everything I can to see if I can't get some kind of an acceptable grade on that course. You know, I mean, that, that, that variation of that dream had a lot, you know, it's like all of a sudden you find out you got this big responsibility that you forgot and you're in big trouble, and it's going to last for eternity. You know, I mean, everybody's going to know Richard flunked chemistry because he didn't go to the first five weeks of chemistry. That's one dream. Let me tell you about the other one. And I think this one's kind of common too, and this is the one that I really want you to think about. It's like I have this really huge opportunity. You know, I was asked to pray at the inauguration. I was asked to preach at Promise Keepers. I was asked to do something really, really huge, and I didn't take it. I had this opportunity. They said, do you want to do this? And I just like froze. I froze, or maybe I fled, or just, you know, fought the idea And it was actually something I really wanted to do, but I didn't get to do it. And it was all on me. It's like opportunity came, it was knocking at my door, and I blew it. And, you know, when I look back on it, 
It's like, wow, you know, man, I could have been a millionaire. I could have been a megachurch pastor. I could have been on the radio. I could have been this. I could have been that. I could have been this other thing. And I blew my shot. Anyone ever have a dream like that? One person. Okay, well, one person is going to be able to relate to the sermons today, okay? Well, good luck, okay? You know what we're going to do for the next three weeks? We're going to do a series of messages that I'm calling Opportunity Knocks, Stepping Into God's Best. Because you know what we're going to do? We're going to look at three different guys who had the opportunity of a lifetime. In reality, I mean, they had an opportunity that was going to have eternal benefits, and they blew it. And, and, and I think the truth of the matter is every one of us who know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, every one of us that have a relationship with God, we have those kind of opportunities. We have the, these, these chances to actually step up and do what the God of the universe wants us to do. And I think we genuinely want to do it. We want to step up. We don't want to fumble the opportunity away. We don't want to freeze. We don't want to fight. We don't want to flee. We certainly don't want to fumble that opportunity. And so what we're going to do today and next week and the week after that is we're going to look at three different people Three different men who fumbled major opportunities. And, and, and what's really going to be, I think, practical about it is we're going to see why they fumbled them. And we're going to see the, the, the little mistakes they made that, you know what, I make, and I bet you make. And it's those kinds of things that keep us from God's best. Now, the first guy we're going to look at is a guy named Solomon. So if you got your Bible, I want you to take it and turn with me to uh, the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, uh, the first 11 chapters are basically the story of Solomon. Now, who in the world was Solomon? Solomon was David's son. When Israel, about a thousand years before Christ, Israel as a nation decided they wanted a king. And they initially got this guy named Saul. Saul was perfect. Tall, dark, handsome. <coughs> Excuse me. Really fit the part. But he was a disaster because he had zero spiritual character. Then God raised up David. And David was the perfect king. He was this king that had a, a heart after God's and and from then on, David became the gold standard of what a king was supposed to be like, especially a king for Israel. And God made the promise to David that his family, his son, would always be on the throne. And so you remember when Jesus Christ finally came along, what was the number one characteristic that Jesus had to have if he was really and truly going to be the Messiah? He had to be a son of David. Well, David's son was Solomon, and Solomon became king after him. And you can look at uh, Solomon's life. 
you know what? Can you go get me some water? This is really getting me. I'm going to keep coughing in people's ears here. <coughs> oh, thank you, Landon. See, I still got the wedding thing going on here. <clears throat> oh, that's so much better. Okay, if you want to take Solomon's life and summarize it, you can summarize it by three words he got from God. You know, some people talk about how they had a word from the Lord and that's how they knew to buy this house or take that job or marry this person. Solomon had three genuine words from God. The first one happened early on in his life, and we read about it in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse 5. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, essentially, after Solomon became king, David's dead, there was kind of some rivalries going on, and what happened was God appeared to Solomon, and he said to him, verse 5, ask whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. And you read the rest of the chapter, you find out that Solomon, instead of asking for money, instead of asking for power, instead of asking for prestige, instead of asking for anything you'd think that a world leader would ask for, he asked for wisdom. And what God did was God gave him that wisdom. So the first time God appears to him in this really significant way, God says, hey, whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. And what was it he asked for? He asked for wisdom. Well, then you keep reading, and you find out that Solomon builds this magnificent temple for God. He builds this palatial palace for himself, and he organizes the army, and the nation of Israel grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and becomes one of the most significant nations on the face of the earth. Solomon is arguably probably the most successful, powerful king that had ever lived up to that point and almost has ever lived since then. And 20, 25 years pass, and God appears to him a second time, okay? Now, think about this. Go to, go to chapter 9, verse 1. Now, by now, Solomon, let's say he's mid-50s. Let's say he's 50, 55. Now, I've been there, and some of you have been there. You know, at 50, 55, you still feel like you're 25. And you feel like you can go do anything and everything you want. You know, the people that are 20 look at you and say, man, when's he ready to retire? And you're sitting and thinking, man, I am ready to start my career. And by this time, Solomon has, has just done so much stuff. I mean, he's built the temple, he's built the palaces, he's organized the army. He has, he has made their economy hum like crazy. They got, they got boats going all over the world bringing boatloads of gold, literally, back to Israel. And, you know, here he is at 50, 55, maybe close to 60, and it's like, okay, what's next? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? I've got the temple built. I've got the palaces built. The army is, is invincible. The economy is humming, humming like crazy. I need a vision, God. 
And guess what? God shows up. And God gives him a vision. God, God says, now, Solomon, we're going to take it to the next level. You thought you were at the top shelf. Let me show you that there's a shelf above. And in chapter 9, if we were to take the time to read it, you know what God offered to Solomon? God offered Solomon the chance for his sons, his descendants, to be on the throne forever. You say, well, that's what he promised his dad. Yeah, he did. But there's a couple differences. When God promised it to David, God just said, I'm going to do that. I mean, David had an affair with Bathsheba. He murdered her husband. He was the absolute worst father you could be of adult children. And yet God still honored that promise to David. It was an unconditional promise. But with Solomon, it was a little bit different. Solomon, if you will follow me, if you will stay faithful to me, you'll have a son that will sit on the throne forever. Your name will last forever. Now, you might be sitting and saying, well, man, I think I'd rather have taken the money. Or I would have rather, you know, got another palace or a summer home or, you know, something up in Switzerland, you know? No, Solomon was smart enough, wise enough to realize that God himself was offering him literally the chance of a lifetime. Because he was saying that the king that was coming, the Messiah, the final king, Ultimately, Jesus Christ would not just be David's son, but be Solomon's son. You say, well, isn't he? No, not really. See, David had about 10 sons. And God is saying, he will not just be the son of David, he'll be the son of Solomon. If Solomon you follow me. You walk in my paths. Well, those of you that are familiar with Solomon's story, you know that he didn't do that. What did Solomon do as a 50-year-old, a 55-year-old, a 60-year-old, who already had one of the best, most spectacular resumes out there? That's when he started to acquire the wives. Remember that? Remember that from Sunday school? Solomon ended up with 700 wives, 300 girlfriends. I mean, I don't have to get real specific there. Just let your imagination go. I mean, this guy never had to say no to himself morally, ever, ever. And you say, well, some of those were political things. Yes, some of them were, and some of them were something else. Just trying to be a little more vague here. Solomon never denied himself. And you know those boatloads of gold that kept coming? Solomon kept them coming and kept them coming and kept them coming, and he started to enjoy the fruit of his life. I mean, sure you should. Shouldn't you do that? I mean, 
You've worked your tail off. You're 55 years old. You're 60 years old. You've worked hard. You got a master's degree. You gutted it out. You rose to the top of the company and you got these kids out of the house and you sent them to college. That's all paid for. You paid for all their weddings. Finally, you get to do something for yourself. Shouldn't you get to do something for yourself at 55? That's how Solomon was thinking. And he started doing something for himself. He's already got a thousand women that he can sleep with anytime he wants. Now he's got all this other stuff going on. And then he's got an army that is like the most invincible army that the world had ever seen up to that point. And when he decides he wants a parcel of land, he can go have that parcel of land. If he wants to make his map bigger, he can make his map bigger. And you know the story, and if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to go back and just read 1 Kings 1 through 11, chapters 1 through chapter 11, and you'll get Solomon's story. But we're just kind of hanging it on these three words from God. First word was, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. He wanted wisdom. And that was honorable. And God used it. Then God said, Solomon, I'm going to make your throne, not just your dad's throne. I'm going to make your throne eternal. But we know his story. He didn't step up. Here was the opportunity. Here was the ball right down the middle, strike over the plate that he could have hit the grand slam with, and he blew it. And so guess what? God appears to him a third time. And you know what God says that time? Solomon, you've blown it. You've gone after other gods because of all these wives that you've got. You've squandered the material possessions I've given you. You've squandered the power and the prestige that I've given you. I am going to discipline your family. Now, I'm not going to do it in your lifetime because I have too much respect and admiration for your father. But guess what? Your son, Rehoboam, he's going to have a hard, hard life. And his son is going to have a harder life. And his son's going to have a harder life. You are going to be the grandpa, the great-grandpa that was known as the guy whose little problem finally came out of the closet and... For generations, everyone's going to know we are in the ditch because of old great-grandpa Solomon, the guy with all the wives and all the girlfriends and all the gold and all the power and all the prestige. And that's what God said to Solomon. I mean, can you imagine? God appeared to this guy three times in a hugely significant way. The third time, the last time, God appeared to him. His last word from God was, you have blown it. And I'm going to take it out on your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. And sure enough, that's where the story goes from then on. You talk about an opportunity lost Solomon lost it. Man, as a young man, got to write Song of Solomon. Read Song of Solomon lately? Good stuff. 
as a middle-aged guy, palaces, temples, armies, gold, silver, precious stone. Wonderful. As an old guy, he's just a dirty old man. He was a guy that got corrupted by his money. You know, it just begs the question. I mean, why? Why did that happen? Why did the wisest man become the biggest fool? I mean, we're calling this thing opportunity knocks, stepping into God's best. I mean, you would have thought God's best was getting to build the temple or getting to build several palaces that go along with it, getting to, you know, organize an army that would be literally a world power overseeing an economy that would have been growing and expanding and making life good for almost everybody. God said, now I've got something better for you, Solomon. You could be the father of the Messiah. You could be the father of the second person of the Trinity when he finally comes to redeem mankind. And Solomon fumbled it. He blew it. Why? Why did that happen? Maybe maybe another way we should ask the question is, what? What is it that got him? What is it that tripped him up? What kept him from enjoying God's best? And maybe actually more important, what's going to keep you from God's best? What's going to keep me from God's best? What can we learn from Solomon, who had the opportunity of a lifetime, who God was conditionally holding out to him this opportunity to make a real eternal difference. What was it that messed him up? You know what, quite frankly, you don't even have to go to seminary to get this. You just have to read the text. You know what got him? Sex, strength, how powerful he was. He was in love with his status. You know, if you don't like those words, here's three that start with P. Passion, power, prestige. That's what got him. You know, interestingly, uh, I had the privilege for a couple of years of being the youth pastor underneath a guy named Bill Bryan. Bill Bryan was the pastor of Grace Bible Church and, uh, uh, in North Dallas, and I was, got to be his youth pastor. And Bill and Shirley, we, we had him here at the church, for some, some of you that remember a long time ago, uh, incredible people. After uh, we came to Texarkana, I quit being the youth pastor there. Uh, I guess Bill knew the place was going to fall apart, so he went to Dallas Seminary and became the chaplain, you know, of, uh, of Dallas Seminary. He left the, that's a joke, by the way. Uh, but he became the chaplain of Dallas Seminary and uh, for, I don't know, maybe close to 30 years, just counseled and mentored these, these men and women that were going to ultimately end up in ministry. And I remember Bill and Shirley talking to Vicki and I, this had to be 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And they said, you know what, what we have learned, and this, this, this is like coming from the Apostle Paul in my mind, because this is a guy that by then had 50-some years of ministry experience, and he had been a chaplain to all these, these people that ultimately went into ministry and, and all that. And he said, the way I look at it, 
Satan has, has basically three tracks. And he looked at us and he said, the first track is sex. He's going to try to get you on the whole sex thing. And he said, the second thing he's going to try to get you on is your children. He's going to try to do anything and everything he can to, to mess up your kids or mess up your parenting or mess up your family or whatever. So you better guard your purity and then you better also guard your family, your marriage, the relationship you have with your kids, the talking together with your kids, mentoring your kids, inspiring your kids to, to walk with Jesus for life. And then let me tell you what he's going to get you after the kids are gone, after sex isn't that big of a deal to you anymore. Let me tell you what he's going to get you on. Status, prestige. Did I really account? Did I do something that really counted for? Because we've all seen it. We've all seen these, these old guys that forget that they have a couple of buttons up here to keep their shirts closed. And they've got this big old gold thing hanging around their neck. And they're trying to date women that are 30 years too young for them. And they're acting like they knew how to do it, you know, back when I was the manager of this or I was the manager of that. And they're all just trying to live out how important they are. And it's just so disgusting. And we look at them and we're like, hey, you were a B-minus player, so just be happy in your retirement. Quit trying to act like you were more important than you really were. And you know what? Bill Bryan was right. That's how Satan tries to get us. And you know what? I'm sure he read 1 Kings 1 through 11. I'm sure he preached through it many times, but at least in that conversation, he never referenced Solomon at all. But I find it really interesting that what he saw in real life is what we see revealed in Scripture. These are the things that are going to get you. Now, I'm talking to a room full of folks, many of which are getting close to 50 or are already over 50 or over 60 or over 70. And let me just tell you here, this is where Satan's going to get us. And he tries to get us on the whole sex thing, the passion thing. And we maybe let our guards down. And it's so easy today. I mean, shoot, you got a smartphone? You basically got a Playboy magazine in your pocket. Just a few clicks, and you can see anything you want to see. You can experience anything you want to see. You can go chat with anyone you want to chat with and talk dirty and talk shamefully. You know, but maybe after a while that gets boring, and then you move on to, do I have the power? And usually by that time, you know, if you're, if you, if you, I mean, good grief, if you just have a, a halfway Christian work ethic, most likely you're going to have more money than the typical person. And so you're going to have a little bit more financial leverage and you can lay down your credit card and buy this or buy that or drive this other thing or live in this kind of a house. And that whole power prestige thing starts getting in there. What is Satan doing? He's appealing to you. 
I mean, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Oh boy, Jesus was right on too. So was the Apostle John. That's what got Satan, or that's what got Solomon. The question I have to ask you is, is it going to get you? You say, well, you know, God, I, I mean, I can't really point to these words from God. God's never told me some big vision like he told Solomon. Well, I'd say most of us are like that. I'm, I'm sure that most of us, you know, the whole vision thing is a little bit fuzzy. It's, I, I admire you folks that have a real clear-cut vision of where God wants you to be. I, you know, I wear glasses, I wear contacts, I can't see very well, and I can't see that stuff very well. It's all fuzzy. But some of you have this real clear vision, but I bet most of us don't really have that clear vision. Solomon, he got it. I mean, he got his straight from God. Solomon, you do well, you follow me, you obey me, you stay faithful to me, you will have a son that will be the Messiah. In fact, the second person of the Trinity will inhabit your line. He fumbled it, but that was the promise. He had a really clear vision. For those of us that don't necessarily have that really clear vision, maybe you need to approach it this way. We may not have that really clear vision of God's best, of what exactly it is, but whatever it is, I know that that stuff's going to keep me from it. Just because I don't, I don't have 20-20 vision on what's out there 15 years from now doesn't mean God doesn't have something good for me. But I do know sex is going to keep me from it. I know that power is going to keep me from it. I know that prestige is going to keep me from it. I know that if I don't get a handle on those things and pay attention to it, whatever that vision is, that I may not be able to see as clearly as I wish I could, as clearly as some of you guys can, clear vision, fuzzy vision, these things keep you from it. You get the point? Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, became the biggest fool because he totally fumbled it. He totally fumbled it. You don't want to fumble it. When God's opportunity knocks, you want to step into God's best. Let me give you a couple things just to kind of wrap it up here. You know, I always like to do the whole so what thing. It's kind of interesting. What should Solomon have done? We don't have the time to go to it, but if we did, we would open our Bible back up to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, haven't really heard a sermon on that one in a while. Tell me again what Deuteronomy 17 is about. Deuteronomy 17 is the instructions, the, the, the job description, if you will, for kings. This is what I want kings to do, God said. When you finally get around to having kings, and he wrote it, you know, through Moses 500 years before they needed it. If you're going to be a king, here's what you're supposed to do. You know what the first thing you were supposed to do? Make yourself a copy of the Word of God and read it every day. 
Deuteronomy 17. One of the key jobs that every king of Israel was supposed to have was that he was supposed to read the Word of God. And, and, and literally, it wasn't like just, you know, get on Amazon and the things at your house the next day. It's like he had to actually make his own copy or commission his own copy of it. And then because he was fortunate enough to have his own copy, he was then supposed to read it every day. And it's like God was saying, if you are going to be a king that is going to do what he's supposed to do and lead my people and get my best, you had better be in the Word of God. And I don't think Solomon did it. I don't have a chapter and verse, but I seriously doubt between taking care of a thousand people and all of his carnal needs and desires and overseeing this massive materialistic society, I seriously doubt the guy took 15 or 20 minutes every day to read the Bible. Because at that time, all he really had was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Maybe Joshua, maybe Judges, but that was it. You know, we just know that what he produced wasn't anywhere near what his father produced. His father wrote nearly half of the Psalms. That's 75 songs. Solomon only had two published. I, I don't think he, he did well there. Here's the important question. How are you doing there? Man, I've been in church my whole life. I've heard every sermon. I've even heard this sermon, Richard. I mean, you know, and, and when I heard it, it was better. You know, the guy over on, the, you know, further down Moore's Lane, when he did it, he, I, liked it. I liked the way he did it a little better. You've heard this sermon. Well, how you doing on it still? How you doing on it? I mean, we are supposed to read the Word of God regularly, repetitively, because you know what? We leak. I mean, it goes in one ear and it goes out the other. We read it and then we go to work and what we've read, a lot of times we forget. And so if you don't keep reading it over and over and over and over, it's not going to have that work in your life to ingest it, to be able to ingest it and allow it to, to, to build you into a child of God that is pleasing, that can handle the stress and strain of success. Solomon wasn't able to handle it. Deuteronomy 17, it says, make a copy of the Word of God and read it. You know what else it says? It says, there is a certain way to do it. I don't want you to multiply your numbers of men. I don't want you to number, multiply your numbers of horses. I don't want you to go, you know, getting a whole bunch of chariots and this and this and this. I don't want you to do any of that stuff. You don't number the people. You don't do that. I mean, but what did Solomon do? Just the exact opposite. God's will for him was to function more like a Deuteronomy 17 king and Solomon was totally the opposite. He was not existing in the will of God. And again, are you, the question to us, the question to me, the question to you is, am I functioning in the will of God? When God says, this is how you handle your money, 
Am I handling my money that way? This is how you handle your relationships. Am I handling my relationships that way? Here's the priorities that you should have within your life. Am I maintaining those? Or have I stepped out of God's will? I mean, the world would look at Solomon and say he was fabulously successful. God looks at him and says, failure. I mean, sure, up to 50, 55, 60, yeah, he did a whole bunch of great things. But boy, the character just wasn't there. Here's the last one. Do you know that he stopped at 50 or 55 or 60? And even though he continued to be king for another 15 or 20 years, he never did anything. He didn't build anything. He didn't conquer anything. He, he, he didn't, didn't write a whole bunch of scripture, didn't write a whole bunch of psalms. I mean, you know, uh, and the question is, what did he do at the end of his life? You know, I suppose he could have been like, you know, a lot of people. He could have joined the Cruise of the Month Club, and, you know, given Carnival or Royal Caribbean or whoever a lot of money and, you know, could have traveled the world and enjoyed it and all this stuff. And nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But, but my question is, what did he do? I mean, I don't think he continued to work for God. Now we look at that and say, well, man, when I get to be, you know, that age, I do want to quit. I want to slow down. I want, I don't want to keep banging my head against the wall. I'm, I'm not saying you keep banging your head against the wall, but I honestly think that God's got a little bit more for you than just seeing if you can get your golf game under a hundred. That's a really achievable goal, by the way. You should be able to do that. I mean, if that's your idea of when I get to my 60s or when I get to my 70s, I'm just going to turn into a fat slob. Maybe that is why God says, I'm only going to give you 70 years, and then you're out of here. Because I, I need the oxygen for someone who's going to do something for me. Honestly, what are you planning on doing once the kids leave? Once the, the, the career kind of has to transition? Are you accomplishing the work of God? I don't think Solomon did. I don't know what God would have had him do. But I guess it's irrelevant because he didn't do it. He didn't do it. It's like God, Solomon got to 55 or 60, and that's when God showed up and said, hey, I've given you some great opportunities let me give you this opportunity. And Solomon was like, thanks, but no thanks. And he fumbled it away, and he accomplished nothing. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? I think God's wants us to, to stay in his word. He wants us to stay functioning his way. And he's got something for us. 
Oh, in comparison, it may not be, you know, a big temple, big palace, big army, big economy, but it's still significant in his book. But just to go back, man, if I let that, that, that passion and that power and that prestige side rail me, I'm not going to accomplish it. Neither are you. We look, today we looked at Solomon. We could have looked at a dozen different people in Scripture, all derailed the same way. God offers us opportunities to go succeed and enjoy his best. And what God's calling us to do is to step into it. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for just the privilege of being able to think about Solomon. Uh, Father, it seems like he could have done so much more and could have pleased you so much more. And Father, for we who uh, particularly are where he was in life, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to go hard all the way to the very end to find that vision and go hard after it. Father, for every one of us, we're living in a society, a culture that is so uh, uh, just off the rails in terms of uh, morality. And Father, we, we play into the power stuff and we're looking for prestige and respect and honor. Father, help us as your people to keep all of those things in check. Lord, we don't want to mess up and we certainly don't want to miss out on what you have for us. So uh, thank you, Father, for the insight you've given us through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.